Well, good morning. I'll try that again. We don't usually do call and response here. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, man. I almost felt like you meant that. Before coffee and everything. Uh, well, my name is Ryan Pale, and I'm the community outreach pastor here at Grace. I think most of you know me, um, uh, but there's been a lot of people that have come through Grace Creekside over the entire summer, a lot of visitors with us, and certainly with the baptisms, there's a lot of visitors. So we just want to say thank you so much for being here. We're glad you're with us. Uh, but since I don't know some of you, I just wanted to take a moment to introduce myself. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm the community outreach pastor, uh, which means that I don't know how many of you peek into job descriptions, but at the there's a small line at the end of our job descriptions that says other duties as assigned. Um, turns out that is pregnant with meaning for me. So I live in other duties as assigned. Uh, but my, uh, my true north for what I do is to equip, empower, and encourage all of us, not just at Creekside, but all the campuses for community outreach. I want Grace Bible Church to be the type of church where no matter where we go, that people rejoice that we're there, where people would be sad if we didn't show up. One of the cool ways that we're starting to see this happen, specifically at our church at Creekside, uh, is through the reading program, uh, the reading initiative that we started uh, a few weeks ago, or maybe it's been a month ago at this point. Uh, Matt uh, Morton uh, stood up here and he, you know, I mean, he is, it's a deep conviction for him to see that the uh, illiteracy rates and how they relate to uh, at-risk behavior, graduating, incarceration, stuff like that. And that's a tension that he struggles with. And so he came to you guys and he said, hey, would y'all be willing, Creekside family, to donate books um, to uh, to this initiative that we're doing? We want to make sure that we have put books, children's books, in the homes of families in our community. And so Creekside, y'all showed up and y'all done an amazing work. This is the last Sunday that y'all are going to donate. And as I'm saying it right now, I'm remembering that I forgot to put the box out there. But there's a table right outside. If y'all brought children's books, place them on the table. I promise they'll get where they need to go. Uh, but y'all showed up. And then we uh, kind of went a step further and we said, that's great. Thank you so much for contributing books. We would also love for you, those of you who are interested, to uh, show up and to read in uh, classrooms. Specifically, there's two classrooms uh, in Head Start at Creekview Elementary uh, where uh, we, we have been invited to come in and read to kids. So Monday through Thursday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., we have the opportunity for people in our congregation to come and read to children. That stuff gets me excited, gets me amped up, and a lot of you have shown up. If you're interested at all in volunteering with that, please let me know. Come and see me. Uh, I'm the goofy one standing up on stage, so you'll know where to find me. Uh, just wait until I'm done, please. Uh, you can come and see me, or, uh, or uh, you can email me, and I'd love to get back together with you. We're sending out schedules this next week for, uh, for when you can sign up. So that's kind of what I do, and those are the things that make me giddy, whatever a giddy Ryan looks like. Um, so we learned about last week, uh, Matt talked about, actually not just last week, the last several weeks, Matt has talked to us, talked to us about, um, about this nature of uh, suffering, of Paul being poured out for the sake of the gospel. And so even last week, it was Paul uh, with his possible doom or possible lifetime imprisonment. Who knows what's going to happen? But Paul is sitting there suffering for the sake of the gospel. He's being poured out for the sake of the gospel. Uh, and this week, Paul's like, okay, now it's your turn, <laughs> church. 
it's your turn to suffer and to find joy, experience joy in the midst of suffering. So I felt it was my responsibility to Matt as his friend and coworker to remind him that on the week that we're talking about uh, the church suffering for the sake of the gospel, that he's on vacationing in Maine, I felt like he needed to know the irony that existed there. And so um, I, uh, yeah, so uh, we got to have a nice little text conversation about that. But Matt is gone. We're excited that he's gone. We're excited that he's getting to vacation. Today is Shannon's birthday, I believe. If you see her uh, through Facebook, say hi to her. Um, okay, so that's enough about me. I would like to get to the passage because I know that's why y'all are here. Uh, Philippians 1, 27 through 30 is where we're going to be. So if y'all want to take your time to, uh, to find that, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Um, give y'all a moment to turn there. But if you don't have a Bible, you can read it up on the screen. Paul says this, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, remember he's in prison, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul gives us a great passage here. This reminds me of uh, last weekend. I, um, I had the, the joy to go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama and to experience that cult and to uh, go there, and it was it was an amazing thing. It's something I wanted to do for a long time. Uh, the getting pummeled part was not great. I think I don't have to explain why, but uh, the whole experience was great. But we decided that we were going to take a little bit of a road trip, my buddy and I. So we uh, on Friday we drove from College Station to Selma, Alabama, um, and then uh, on Saturday night we drove from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, to uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And these are just monumental places in the civil rights movement. And I was, uh, I studied history in college and civil rights was like, that was my era. That was my specialty. Um, I loved it. So getting to see these places was pretty profound for me, really humbling. Uh, and so we stopped in Selma. And for those of you who don't know the story or who haven't seen the, the, uh, the movie, Selma became the centerpiece for uh, voting rights for the African-American community. So what was happening is that uh, black folks had been given the opportunity, it was legal for them to vote, but what would happen is they would show up at the courthouse in, in Selma, that's the county seat of Dallas County, and Dallas County was majority black. Uh, but the problem was that uh, black folks would show up and they'd say, hey, I'd like to register to vote. Um, it's legal now. I'm uh, just declared a person, and so I would like to vote. So uh, what would happen is they would be met with, uh, with questions that were just, I don't know, that maybe a small handful of people in the entire state of Alabama could actually answer these questions that they were being asked. And of course, when they don't get the answer correct, then they're denied their registration, so they can't vote. So when you were the majority population in that town, for you to not be able to vote, it's actually, it's a pretty big deal. 
So this is a grave injustice. So they, they rallied uh, people together um, uh, through churches and through friends and connections and organizations. And so uh, one spring morning in 1965, they decided that they were going to start in Selma, Alabama, uh, at the county seat, at the courthouse, right where they were denied registration. And they were going to march 50 miles to, uh, to Montgomery. And in their march... They got together and they went on the sidewalks, a few hundred of them, and they went on the sidewalk and they marched. Now, uh, they came across a bridge, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, which is this famous landmark, crosses the Alabama River. So they get to this humpback bridge, they uh, ascend it, they get to the top, and they see at the bottom of the bridge what was waiting for them, a blockade. Um, and they decided, okay, we're on this march, we're committed to this mission, so they kept marching. And they went down to the blockade and then they stopped. Well, the, uh, the chief of police, uh, was, he called out to them and said, they, he said, hey, this is illegal. You're not allowed to gather here uh, this morning. You need to disperse, go back to your churches, go back to your homes, uh, but you can't go any further. So the people decided we're going to stay. We're going to stand. This is what we signed up for. This is what the mission looks like. So they stayed. Uh, and then the uh, opposition came against them with, uh, with horses, with billy clubs, with tear gas, with gas masks. Uh, and uh, what happened subsequently became known as Bloody Sunday. Um, so that was hard, you know, hard moment in our history. But what's powerful is that people showed up a month later again. But not just the people in the Alabama area, people from all over the country showed up and they came to this tiny town and they decided, hey, we want to march. We believe in what you're doing. They experience solidarity and unity. And so then they try again. They march up. They get to the top of the bridge. They see the blockade there. Uh, but then the blockade says, hey, it's safe. You can go through. But they didn't feel great going through. They didn't feel like they were safe. And so they, they withdrew. And then they went a third time, and they weren't met with a blockade. They were met with people who were ushering them, making sure that they were going to be safe on their whole journey to Montgomery. So a week ago, I get to stand on this bridge. There's, a, there's like a curb that goes right in the middle um, of the street, and I get to stand. I stood on this curb. I looked up, and I saw Edmund Pettus, who turned out to be the grand uh, dragon of the KKK and a senator for Alabama. But I see this monumental place, and I'm struck at what happens when people are on mission, when they know that they are facing opposition, they're facing suffering, because of their desire to move forward in the mission. I'm struck at the insane amount of courage it takes for somebody to, having experienced Bloody Sunday, to come back later knowing that the same thing awaits them. I'm inspired by that. What's interesting is, even in the passage, uh, Paul says, uh, Paul talks about how the good works of, uh, of the believers is a sign of salvation for believers a sign of destruction for, uh, for their enemies. And you see this even in this Edmund Pettus Bridge. This thing has become a landmark. It was a place of suffering and hardship and blood and toil and tears and screaming and wailing. It was a sign of that, but because of the faithfulness of the people, it became a sign of salvation for them. It also became a sign of destruction for, uh, um, against white supremacy and things like that because they got the right to vote. They voted people out of office that shouldn't have been there, and they got to, in a sense, be saved. This is exactly what Paul is trying to communicate to the Philippian believers. He's telling believers in Philippi, 
persecution is happening, living faithfully for Jesus is going to cause you to come face to face with oppression, with opposition, and with suffering. Gear up. I promise the other side that's waiting for you is salvation. I promise there's good on the other side of it. But get ready, church, because it's coming. And what we see in our history is that that played out as they experienced intense persecution. We don't want to start out on a sad note. We're going to get to the most important thing. Paul says, only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So uh, we're evangelicals. So when we hear gospel, we kind of are like, okay, I know he's going to go through whatever illustration to communicate the gospel. Um, I get that. Uh, But let me tell you, for those of you in here who know what the gospel is, uh, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't know what the gospel is, this is the pillar uh, that joins us all together. This is what makes us family in here, is that we believed that, that we believe that we were arrogant and that we're pri- I'm prideful. Um, and in my arrogance and pride, I sin. And in my sin, I've decided that God is my enemy. Um, we read about in Ephesians 2. But God, because he's God and because he um, has more love than any of us could muster up on any given day. It's not even fair to compare those two. He didn't leave us in our opposition, and he didn't leave us as enemies of God. He actually sent his son to die for us, uh, so that if we believe in him, we are no longer enemies of God. We're joined with him, and we're part of his family. That's the gospel message. That is the good news that we proclaim. That's the good news that joins us all together. For Paul, when he says, live your lives, conduct your lives in a way that's worthy of the gospel, he's saying all things. Like that message, that redemption message permeates every aspect of your life. Paul gives us examples. I'm going to kind of rapid fire through some passages. Uh, This is kind of Paul's relationship with the gospel or how the gospel affects Paul's entire life. He says in Romans 1, 1, that he is set apart for the gospel. 1, 16, the gospel is the power of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 17, preaching the gospel is the most important thing in his life. 1 Corinthians 9, similar sentiments. Um, He's motivated by the gospel. 15, 1, the gospel saves 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the gospel is the glory of Christ. 2 Corinthians 9, 13, the gospel accompanies obedience. The gospel was received from God, not from man. The gospel is true. The gospel is the unsearchable riches of Christ. Circumstances advanced the gospel. We learned this a couple weeks ago with Matt that, that poor circumstances Paul took hope knowing that they would advance the gospel. Uh, the gospel is the source of hope. So even when we're enduring trial, it is the source of my hope. First says gospel accompanied is accompanied by the power and Holy Spirit. Uh, finally, uh, we hear about being in chains for the gospel. So for Paul, the gospel is everything. It changes the way he sees himself. It changes the way he sees the world. It changes the way he conducts his life. It changes everything. So he didn't have categories in his mind where he's like, okay, I'm preaching the gospel to the Gentiles here. Gosh, but I'm a tent maker over here. And I got to kind of put gospel stuff aside because in the real world, you got to do business and, and you need to negotiate and make compromises and stuff like that. He has no such categories. The gospel permeates every single thing that he does. And so he's wanting us to know this is the thing that's uh, of central, of uh, the, the, the most important thing. But furthermore, not only does it change kind of the way he sees himself and others and God and, and the whole world, it's the same for us. It changes everything about us if we allow it to. 
We recognize that with Christ, whenever he uh, was resurrected, whenever he rose from the dead, when he defeated death, like the most powerful weapon that exists is death and Christ defeated it. And in doing so, he began something new that will be completed ultimately when Christ comes again. But we, as believers in Christ, who believe in this gospel, we believe in the newness that God has begun. And we participate in a mission to proclaim the newness that's already begun in Christ. So for us to allow the gospel to permeate everything means that we see everything differently. We sit in here, not as neighbors or people, fellow citizens of Bryan College Station area. We sit in here as brothers and sisters and all of the joys and dysfunction that comes with it. We're family. That's the type of newness, a new community that's created through the gospel. So I hope that we're able to know, this is unstating the obvious here. This is nothing new, but the gospel is first and foremost to Paul. He keeps the gospel first. What I want us to look at is in addition to the gospel creating a new worldview for Paul, uh, something else happens. So live your lives um, according or conduct your lives according to the gospel. We've got the gospel, foundational, new worldview, all that good stuff. But he says this, this is, I'm going to geek out a little bit. We're going to do some Greek stuff, which I know half of a Bible church can be like, mm, good. Uh, and the rest of us are going to be like, okay. Uh, so um, politumai, Paul says, politic yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. I didn't pick the word. I just showed up today, but I'm not going to skirt the word. Politic yourself according to the gospel. Let's let that sit for just a second. So this is important for the Philippian church because the Philippians had kind of a, they had a unique um, identity, I guess, if you will. Uh, so they, because of a war that had happened a few decades before, they were given full Roman citizenship. Um, they were, uh, which meant that there are privileges and there are rights and there are protections that came with Roman citizenship. Um, and this is something that they embraced. They loved. Paul even talked about, he asserted himself as a Roman citizen. So this is a deep identity issue. So I want us to just, in a sense, sit in the same pew with the Philippian church here, because it's true of us. We're proud to be American. We're proud to be Texan. We're proud to be whatever school we went to. We're, we're just proud. It's just the way, it's the way it is. But I want us to just kind of sit next to the Philippians in this sense so that we hear, as they heard, what it means for Paul to say, politic yourself according to the gospel. Okay? So on, uh, on Monday, when I kind of came across this word, I um, kind of did one of those, huh, interesting uh, so then I thought, okay, um, I would like to just kind of take a case study um, to look at what it looks like to politic according to the gospel. In doing so, I wanted to use real life examples because I'm not a big fan of just learning the word and not being able to, to, to really apply it. So I'm like, okay, on Sunday morning, I'm going to take a real-life example, something that is in the media, something that has everybody amped up, and I'm going to figure out, uh, I want us to walk through what it looks like to politic according to the gospel, okay? So if I weren't teaching this week, if I was teaching this last week, it would be a different issue. If I was teaching this next week, it would be a different issue. The issue this week is the Supreme Court trial. Now, I, I promise you we're going to be okay. Um, here's what I want for us to know. Uh, when issues like this happen, we are forced to choose one of two options. 
in this case, since this is our case study, I can either be uh, pro-life and anti-woman, right, and throw my cards all into that, or I can be pro-choice and pro-woman. And so what we do is we align ourselves and we ally ourselves into one of those two camps. And not only do we align ourselves with those camps, but we hurl insults at the other camp. And we even hold our, uh, our faith as a standard that the other camp isn't measuring up to. Brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be this way. To quote James, we as a people of truth, as a people of a politic, according to the gospel, we don't abide by those categories. I would have longed to see us separate ourselves out from that and to say, and to grieve the fact that millions of children every year die because of abortion and to advocate for them and to pray for them and to cry for them as I saw at Hope Pregnancy this last week. I would love for us to think about the women who, because of their hopelessness and their desperation, walked into a clinic to have the procedure done because they, have, they didn't think of any other way out of this situation. And I hope that we would cry for them, that we would pray for them, that we would advocate for them. And I wished that we would have grieved for suffering women who have experienced sexual assault, who haven't been believed, who had stuffed, stuffed it for years and years, um, and that we would grieve for them, that we would advocate for them, that we would pray for them. On and on the list goes. That's what I would love. When, peop when people look at kind of what the average church is doing, how the average church is responding, I would love for the conversation to be, gosh, the, the church grieved. They didn't just grieve, though. They got after it. And they advocated and they prayed for and they were truthful and they were humble and they were gentle and gracious. That's what I would have loved to have seen. But that's not what I've seen. And you know what? Next week it's going to be something else. And we're going to be given a choice again next week. And then the week after that we're going to be given a choice again. And so I would love for us to just listen to Paul as Paul is speaking exactly to the Philippians. He's speaking exactly to us. I would hope that we come to a place whenever we're given these two categories to say, what does it mean for me to politic according to the gospel of Christ? Um, but this isn't the only, the only world where we uh, politic. So, so when you think of politics, think, think outside. Just what is my civic responsibility? What's my public responsibility? I've obviously talked about politics uh, in general, but there are other areas where we put on public display, on civic display, what our values are and how do we do that according to the gospel. So I want to list out some areas. Um, and I want you to think through what are the areas that you have a public persona, you have public engagement, um, I'm going to give you a couple, but I want y'all to think through some of them, okay? So the first one is, uh, is work. So I uh, put on display my value system through my work. Uh, now, I was um, talking with one of my buddies and uh, kind of teased out, uh, all right, so a difficult thing about a man of the cloth, such as me, is that I don't have a whole lot of real-world experience. Uh, so um, I you know, I sold insurance for about nine months and then got into ministry, um, which I know you're thinking like it's supposed to be the opposite. You do ministry first, get burned out and go sell insurance. I did it backwards. Um, but uh, so I sold insurance for a little bit, but that's all, I, that's all I got. 
So as my buddy and I were talking, I realized there are every day, there are little negotiations that we have to make throughout the day to where we put our values. We have competing values. As walking believers of Christ, we have competing values that clash with one another. This is part of living in a broken world. So I can sit here on stage and I can say clear black and whites, and they are clear black and whites, but I don't get the difficulty that happens in the real world. For instance, for my buddy, um, he's in sales and he says, hey, um, the, uh, when, I go, when I call a client and I have to go out and meet with them, uh, many times they want to meet in an establishment that objectifies women. Um, and there's a wide range of kind of what that looks like. So, uh, so he says, I believe Jesus when he says, you've heard it said, not to commit adultery, but I say to you, whenever you look lustfully at a woman, you commit adultery. He's like, I know that. I embrace that. I love that. Yes, period. Here's what that looks like in my day-to-day interactions. When I say no to this potential client, that means they take their business elsewhere because the guy behind me, he'll go there. He'll go to that place, no problem. And when I get passed up, my buddy says, when I get passed up, that means I don't provide for my family as well that month. That means I'm having a hard time making the bills, paying the bills. So he just kind of sits there and says, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do with that? So what Paul is saying is you live according to the gospel. And then what he's promising is that you're going to suffer and you're going to face opposition in doing so. But there's other areas that we kind of have to do these, these things. Uh, in our neighborhood, yeah, what kind of neighbor are you? Um, are you, you know, currently, I'm the neighbor with long grass that all, everybody else is like, you need to do something about that. Um, so, but what kind of neighbor are you? Are, are you like the, the neighborhood steeple where everybody comes to when they have a problem or they, have a, they need prayer or whatever it is? You're like the, the neighborhood minister. Or um, are you the code enforcer? of the neighborhood? Like, are you the one that's going to come and talk to me, knock on my door and be like, hey, the grass is a little bit long. Um, you need to do something about that. And all of these things, I would just kind of say, is your motivation the gospel, the newness, the new creation that has already begun? Is that your motivation? Do you come across as if the gospel is important to you? Citizenship politics, I think we've had enough of that. Uh, social media, uh, this is, so this kind of dawned on me. I think Facebook has become like where the, uh, where all the old folks would get together and we would talk about like what's wrong with the world today. It's become kind of our new platform. So it's taken over the coffee shop or the McDonald's or whatever. So where we get onto Facebook and we gripe about what's wrong with the world today. So I actually, I think it's really good for us to articulate our convictions, for us to kind of take a stand on some things and say, this is how I'm thinking through the world. This is what I believe the Lord is kind of teaching me, all that good stuff. But as we all know, it doesn't stop there. It becomes a place where all the people that think just like me, we circle the wagons, we find out who the enemy is, and then we toss uh, insults at them. Um, And that's kind of become what social media has been used for. So in your social media engagement, do you have the mind to say, I am going to politic according to the gospel. I'm going to live publicly to post publicly in accordance with the gospel. Uh, school, teachers, children, PTO, whatever it is, are we showing everybody in the school our love for God and our devotion for God and our love and devotion for one another? Sports. You think, ah, we're not going to mess with sports. I'm a little too close to home. Um, 
so, and I get to say it because I'm up here. So, uh, so in Philippians, um, the gospel creates a whole new worldview. It changes the way we see one another, ourselves, the Lord. The gospel creates a whole new public ethic. And this is a fun one. Are we ready for it? The gospel invites opposition and suffering is a gift. Verse 28 says this, uh, In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted, for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Uh, this concept, this gets a little bit uh, tricky as we think about, okay, um, so suffering seems to be a part, opposition seems to be a part of living the gospel life. Um, I've always kind of had a little bit of a struggle uh, with this because I think about how many times have we uttered the words, a prayer that sounds something like, Lord Jesus, thank you for the blessing of getting, like we look at, a, we're sitting here and we're worshiping together. We're not obstructed uh, by anybody or anything. Um, we don't have to, like the Coptic church, if I hear the, in Egypt, if I hear the door open, then I'm like, oh my gosh, is this somebody, a radical person that's going to come in and do something harmful to us? Or, um, or the Chinese church, where if I see a newcomer, I'm like, okay, what's their angle? Are they with the government? Am I going to be interrogated? All that good stuff. That's not, that's not what we're dealing with. And so I've always thought, like, how, how is it, Lord, that you are telling us that living faithfully for the gospel means that we aren't going to face or it means that we're going to face opposition, but we don't. So then you're like, am I not living faithfully for the gospel? It's a weird question. So for Philippians, this is kind of what it looks like. So if you were a Philippian believer, um, there's a message that's given to you as, as a Roman citizen. Uh, repent from the old kingdom, for the new kingdom is here, which is Caesar's kingdom. Um, be a good citizen and receive salvation. Uh, and prosperity and health, and your enemies are going to be squashed. Jesus says, repent, new kingdom is here, turn, turn toward me, put your trust in me, I bring a new kingdom, be a great citizen, uh, and you're going to suffer and be opposed. <laughs> so I look at that for Philippian, and I'm like, who in, the, who in their right mind would choose the Jesus way? I mean, really, when you take a step back and look at it, who would choose that? It makes no sense. But then, if you think about it a little bit longer, you realize Christ is alive. Caesar is dead. Christ is true. Christ conquered death. Christ calls us into a community. Christ redefines excellence. He redefines beauty. He redefines Love, he redefines courage. He redefines what true life is for us today. And so I think about those things and I'm like, you follow the way that is true. And then it starts to make sense why the world would be opposed to you. So as an answer to my weird question about, so why on, why on earth would somebody choose this way over this way? Uh, I want to boldly proclaim to you confidently that I have no idea. Um, I think about kind of throughout the day um, that I, I make little, just for me, um, that I make little decisions um, where I can choose to live faithfully for the gospel or, or not. But usually it's to avoid some type of pain 
or suffering or opposition or whatever it is. So sometimes I choose to speak up about things because I should. Sometimes I speak up when I shouldn't. Sometimes I don't speak up when I should. I don't speak up when I shouldn't. But I'm able to make on any given day we're confronted with little tiny choices. So what would it look like? How much different would my life look like if I stood by my convictions for the gospel every day in every small decision? Well, I would argue that I'm sure there would be some opposition, more than kind of the normal opposition. But I'm also going to thank the Lord that he's sustaining and that he's allowing me to experience peace and that we don't have to sit and look over our shoulders whenever people come in the door because we're terrified. Finally, Paul says uh, that suffering is a gift. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. This is another one of those things where he says, it's been graced to you. It's by grace that we have been saved. It's by grace that we suffer. That doesn't make sense. Now, a lot of people in here, there's a lot of suffering that happens in this room. Uh, There is loss. There's illness. There is, um, there's addiction. There's a number of ways that we are suffering. A lot of times suffering for things that are kind of outside of our control. And those aren't necessarily correlated to our decisions to make for the gospel. But the reality is, is that suffering comes. And it's a good thing for us, which is easy for somebody that's not suffering to say that. I get that. I do know through hearing the testimony of people who are in these places, like I mentioned, uh, China and Egypt across the nation, that they recognize that their suffering is doing something in them that I don't experience. There is an opportunity for them to walk faithfully with Christ because of their suffering that I don't experience. There's a depth to their faith. There is a courage, a fearlessness of their faith that comes because of what the Lord, how the Lord is using suffering in their lives. I'm not praying for that, <laughs> but if it comes, I hope that we would be able to stand with them to be moved by the Holy Spirit, to have the type of courage that would allow us to live our lives in accordance with the gospel. So in closing, I want for y'all to think about the public displays of your life. Think about the politic of your life, the, the outward expression um, of, uh, of your life. We talked about work. We talked about school, um, family. There's a number of different things. I want you just, however long you get a second of reflection, reflect for one minute sometime this week. What is my external life here and how could it be more aligned with the gospel? Open yourself to the fact that God may be saying, this is not in accordance with the gospel. This is some other agenda. This is not my agenda. Open yourself to that. That's it. That's all, that's all the homework. That's, that's easy, right? Okay. I'm going to pray for us, and then y'all are going to be dismissed. Lord Jesus, thank you that we are not alone in our suffering. Thank you that your way is truth and your way is life. 
I thank you that as we follow faithfully after you, that we do so in community with one another, girding one another up, supporting one another, spurring one another on. But thank you that you've given us the power of your Holy Spirit, which raised Christ from the dead and resides in us so that we can move forward faithfully. Lord, help us too. We confess that we need you. We're desperate for you. Would you please help us this week for just a moment to reflect on how we are living in accordance with your gospel. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to whatever you say uh, and that we'd have the courage to move forward in it. We give thanks for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you.